Hi, I'm Dan Krikorian. And I'm Patrick Carney. And we're Slapping Glass. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today is the third installment of The Extra Pass, a short, hyper-specific conversation centering around a single basketball or coaching topic aimed at furthering understanding and stimulating coaching ideas on your midweek drive to the office. Today, we are joined by Coach KJ Smith of Brazil's Basket Unifacisa. Coach Smith leads us through the reads, reactions, and teaching points of the Brazilian triple post action, a specific set of actions run off of a post catch. To see this Brazilian triple post action visually, please make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at slappingglass.com and follow us on Twitter and YouTube, where we'll be putting out Coach Smith's own breakdown video as well as some of ours. And now, please enjoy our extra pass conversation with Coach KJ Smith. Something that you sent us a couple of weeks ago really caught our, our attention was the Brazilian triple post action. And you put out a great YouTube video explainer of it. And we wanted to dive into that today. So first, we'll let you start on it. But what is the Brazilian triple post action? Obviously different from the American triple post action. Right. And that difference actually confused me the first time I, I learned the term. So uh, naturally, in America, when you hear triple post, you think of triangle offense and, and things of that nature. But the Brazilian triple post is it's almost an offense unto itself, as people have told me, where there's just specific progressions and reads after the ball goes into the post that really make it difficult for a defense to defend everything, um, especially if it's executed with proper timing, speed, if you've got the skilled players around it. But it's something I like that involves at least four players in an action, sometimes five, which a lot of the times when you're running actions in the post, you don't always get four or five man movement. So it's something that you can use either as an ATO, as a main part of your offense. So it's very versatile in that way. I guess let's start by diving in on what it actually is. So can you walk us through, I know people are listening to this and we do have a video we're putting out with this as well, but can you walk us through technically what the triple post action looks like? Okay. So the triple post action starts, if you imagine uh, four round one, let's say I'm the point guard and I'm entering the ball into the post from the wing. For the sake of the visualization, let's say I'm on the right wing entering into the block. You've got your trailer at the top of the key. You've got one shooter in the corner, weak side corner, and your other shooter has just set some type of cross screen. He's basically on that opposite block of the post. Okay. Once that ball's in the post, the next action is dictated by how they're guarding that other offensive player on the block. So typically teams like to top lock this uh, pin down from the trailer, in which case we're going to sprint up to the pin down and cut back door. So that's usually the first option we're looking for. If that's not there and they're chasing tight, we're usually looking to curl this action instead of back door and go straight to the rim. And the reason we love this is because Typically, when teams do any type of screen, the screener action, a cross screen to a pin down, usually the player who sets the cross screen 
leaves the pin down to shoot. He doesn't receive it. And then you're basically just watching a one-on-one post up. It's easy to dig in with your help. What we wanted to do was make that guy curl and put pressure on the rim or back door as much as possible. And from there, what happens is if that guy does his job, he should draw help a little bit from that weak side corner man's defender. And that's where the fun part of this action comes in. Because after that curl or back door to the opposite side, my trailer is screening away to the shooter in the corner. And that is a very, very long distance for that defender to be able to chase. And that's where you get a lot of good jump shooting action or slip screens by the trailer. KJ, I guess if we start with the post catch, if we start there before we kind of build out to these other actions, what do you tell him the post uh, as far as when he catches it, his timing, when to attack, when not to attack, what's kind of his progression? So his progression starts the moment he's about to receive the cross screen to receive it in the post. The Mm -hmm. very first thing we want, if he can catch with two feet in the paint near the restricted area off that screen, forget the play. Catch with two feet in the paint, finish it, let's get back on defense. Mm -hmm. Assuming that doesn't happen, we'll actually tell him to catch it one step off of the block. And his very first progression is to not necessarily completely face up, his chest is more facing the half court line. And his first progression is just reading that player who just set him the cross screen. So all he's reading is if the player's top locking and denying, back door. If he's not top locking or denying, it's going to be a curl, period. In this case, in regards to his body position, uh, facing half court allows him to see the entry passage defender to make sure he's not coming in the trap. Okay. So that's the very first progression, and it stops there. Now, the guard under the rim, who's going to either back door or curl, how do you guys work on, I guess, his decision-making and what he's going to do? Is it just the read of, hey, if he's on top of me, you're going to take him up two steps and then come back door, or if you feel him behind him, you're going to curl? Does he have options? We tell our guards, we do give him a little bit of leeway as far as how many steps to separate and whatnot, but we just tell them very clearly, if that guy is clearly on top of you or any attempt to step through the screen, because that happens as well, it's not always a top lock and deny, cut to the rim. If he's on the side or underneath you, it's a curl, period. Whoever enters it into the post, what do you want him to do? So the first role for him is actually to just not move, just take one or two steps back. And the reason being is typically, especially at our level, even the quote unquote bad shooters are pretty good from the line, whether it's 34% more or less. So we just tell him, take one or two steps back to that NBA four point line, so to speak. And we tell him, if that guy helps at all and you catch in range, just bomb it wherever you are. If he really goes to help, sprint to the corner, catch and shoot, because there's so much action going on, on the other side of the floor. Typically, that entry passage defender is not going to help as well. Just to follow, because I know a lot of times when you enter the ball of the post, it's taught to pass it and you know move right away or pass and go screen right away. And so you guys actually want him to kind of just pause and back up and read it before making his decision. Correct. And a lot of the times, and it's not right or wrong, it depends on your concept in the post, but very often when you do throw it in the post and that guy, let's say, cuts through to the rim or he screens away, if I cut through and I'm, especially if I'm a non-threat, that's a trap. If I screen away and they switch that screen away and then I cut, they still leave me and that's a trap again. So we, we just want to focus really on attacking that weak side of the floor mm-hmm. and letting everything happen from there. So the point guard doesn't have to think as much. He knows his reads. 
The ball is in the post and trail guy sets the, the away screen of the wide pin down, but the post doesn't give it up. And the post decides to go to work. What do you want to do with that trail man? Is he going to dive opposite dunker or is he a shooter? You space. How do you kind of then keep your spacing if the big man's still going to go to work? We, we make that personnel based. Um, unless there's a specific coverage we see in the post, if it's conventional one-on-one man-to-man defense, we'll give that trailer the option to pop out and shoot or to let him slip to opposite dunker and read the space from the big. You are seeing more teams play zone when the ball enters the post as well. Yeah. And we will do triple post against that as well. And if that happens, we basically screen the top of the zone and then dive him down the lane line. Okay. Mm-hmm. TJ, after the ball is, is kicked out and the action continues, like there's no shot right away. So let's say he doesn't backdoor or he doesn't curl. Does he also have the option to just take that first screen from the trail and catch on the perimeter? and play through like a a step up or an on-ball screen, or will that come from somebody else on the floor? No, he he does have the option to just go off and use the pin down himself. And that does happen naturally, especially, you know, reads aren't always perfect. And sometimes you do have a chance to come off and you think you have a shot and you don't in that situation. We just rescreen no matter what, doesn't matter if it's the four or the five in that trailer spot, we rescreen and then our pick and roll concepts take over from there. KJ, when you're getting to that rescreen up top, I'm always curious, is there anything you're telling the big like footwork on that rescreen? Is it if he goes over your left shoulder, turn left? Is there any sort of teaching point you make after he sets that screen getting to the rescreen? Yes, one thing that I'm very, very aggressive on with our players is when you rescreen, we want that screen to be a little bit flatter than normal. So if you're going into a rescreen and you're completely facing the sideline with your chest, we're telling you that's a bad rescreen. Mm-hmm. We want you to turn that angle a little bit. We'll try and screen his back pocket, so to speak, because now when he takes that step back as a defender to go under, he's stepping into you. And that gives us the separation we want to try and get downhill. So I'm assuming because just to clarify, you don't want that facing the sideline because you want to try to force the over on that pick and roll. That is correct. So once we can force okay. that over, it doesn't matter if it's drop, if it's, Soft hedge, hard hedge, switch. Once we get that over, we've created the advantage we want as far as getting too near the ball, and we can play from there. KJ, moving back to the weak side action. So you've entered to the post, and let's say that first guard is either curled or backdoored, and then that triggers the next part of the action, which is then the the post going to set the wide pin or the away screen for the shooter in the corner. What are the reads you're teaching those two guys on that action? So the reads with this pin down, it does partly depend on the player that had just cut through on that backdoor curl. Typically, when there's weak side screening action, that player in the corner is waiting on the wing, and then that other player who just got out goes to the corner. The problem with that is it's easier for that defender to maintain contact, especially if it's a team that likes to switch and play top lock. If I'm waiting on the wing and I top lock, I just send you down to the defender who's on the bottom defending the other guy because he's already in the paint. Right. Yeah. But if I just cut out and I wait in the dunker and the other shooter is waiting in the corner, now you have to stay with that guy. You don't have a choice. So we're telling that shooter, you sprint off like you're Duncan Robinson. If you get any daylight, it's going off. Right. Obviously, if you don't have the shot, there's a rescreen and you can curl as well. Okay. Um, But our first look is sprint off to shoot. Um, If not, you have the rescreen. If they go under, 
we will rescreen that pin down. Okay. So you can imagine this. Basically, they go under that pin down. We will rescreen into a flare back towards the wing and then dive our trailer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from this imagery, you basically have your weak side dunker from the guy who just slipped. You've got a wing and quarter shooter on the back side, and you've got that spacing. You just mentioned, and even at the beginning, you mentioned the importance of timing. Uh, I'm curious, what are then kind of the, the the common mistakes with the timing or that you see with your team over the course of the season that you're kind of constantly harping on or correcting? One part is the trailer screening away because whether it's the four or the five, almost every trailer, when you do this action, just wants to pop out and shoot um, <laughs> because every trailer is either Dirk Nowitzki or they're David West, right? As far right. as the mid yeah. so which again, we tell them, hey, if you want to shoot, I don't care but you're going to shoot after you try and take advantage of this action, right? Because the defense yep. wants you to shoot this, yep. right? We want you to shoot it, but we want you to shoot it within the flow of what we're trying to do. Naturally, if, you know, guys on fire, whatever things happen, but the, we try to tell the guys when they can sort of be more free to break out of that flow. And mm-hmm. that's definitely one of the bigger pitfalls. The second pitfall for sure involves the post-entry passer, because if all the action on the other side gets blown up, he's kind of stuck thinking, okay, well, what do I do? And in that situation, we'd tell them the reason we want you to take a step back to that MBA or four point line is because if everything breaks up over there, we're telling this big to dribble handoff with you to the corner. Okay. Reason being yeah. they can't hard hedge, can't hard hedge a handoff or he's just going to fake the handoff and right. you know, you're getting yes. a blender, you're in rotation. So we tell them, Hey, take that step back so you can catch on the move, get downhill and now when things broke down, you can just be free to attack. How do you want the post delivering that handoff and kind of then also setting that screen at the same time? With our bigs, I actually like them to pitch it ahead a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't like necessarily waiting to physically hand it off because I think that can be a little slow sometimes to get blown up with good defense. So that quick pitch right before the handoff takes place gives the ball handler a little bit of control. And sometimes the ball handler makes the best decision as far as reading that defender. Maybe he goes under early anticipating the handoff and you can shoot it. Maybe you've got more control to not attack the baseline, re-screen, and then you reject when the defender moves. So we want to give that guard control as opposed to him just relying on the big all the time. Staying on the the skill set of the big, I would imagine this is something you have to practice them making the skip pass to the opposite wing do you prefer them if they're going to make that pass is it more of a hook pass from the post or is it a kind of turn face over the head two hand pass i mean how do you work with them to make an accurate pass across the court i will say when we first teach this when we first teach this it's probably the two hand skip as they get better at it especially with the more skilled bigs we'll let them throw it with one hand and just skip it across once they've done that on air so to speak we try to do a lot of it with uh, shadow defense where they just have to read one defender if he's over or under. So we might practice the triple post with just the weak side pin down, or we'll practice the triple post with just the initial pin down of the back door or the curl. And then once they've done that sort of with shadow defense and they can pick the right decision based on what the defender does, then we sort of throw them into the fire and say, Hey, let's do it live. Okay. But that's something we enjoy a lot because typically, and this is just my own opinion, it is easier to create passing decision-making bigs than it is to create the next Joel Embiid. That's very, very difficult to do. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm 
Um, a lot of these times when you have these bigs, typically, especially ones that don't, don't touch the ball, a lot of the ones that I've worked with personally, they usually don't say they want to shoot the ball. They say they want to be involved, to get a touch, to be a part of the offense. Mm-hmm. Well, this allows them to be a part of the offense. So now when they do get the ball in other situations to look to score, they're not just throwing the ball up because they haven't touched the ball and they've only set screen for the past five minutes. Right. So it's a way that we can include them in, in the action. KJ, getting really specific with sides of the floor or blocks, you know, if, if I'm a right-handed post, do you prefer to run this action on a certain block so that that hook pass is easier from his right hand as opposed to another side of the floor where, you know, a little more difficult to make that pass? Or do you guys just not make that distinction? We do prefer it on the left block just because, you know, as a right-handed post, you can turn to the middle, throw with your strong side hand. Yeah. But also because your shooter's coming off the weak side corner, they're now going to their left. And typically for right-handed shooters, they prefer to go to their left. You don't have to square up as much. So that's the added benefit of your coming off a screen to your left to shoot. The ball is coming from directly under the rim, which is a pass that everyone practices millions of times. So we're playing into those percentages based on the positioning of where we start. As you like go about building this offense, and you mentioned a little bit with kind of teaching the, the passing of the big, how do you deconstruct it in practice? What What is kind of the initial, is it that you're working on it? Is it a three-on-three, four-on-four? Like what kind of the progression of the breakdowns you do to build up to the five-on-five? In regards to the triple post, it's a lot of three-on-three. Um, so we'll go three-on-three with just the post passer, as I said, and just the mm-hmm. side pin down, just the curler backdoor read or just the triple handoff with the entry passer. From there, we'll go into the four-on-four where, okay, maybe the coach is the entry passer, and then the rest of you are all on the weak side, and let's put that together. Then from there, we'll again do it five-on-five, and we'll usually go from three-on-three to four-on-three, right? Then four-on-four to five-on-four, and then you play five-on-five. I'm curious, I know we've broken down the offense, but how do you guys like with your club like to get into the offense as far as what kind of action are you doing to get to that cross screen? I know, I think in the breakdown you showed you've run it off of, you know, sideline plays and you mentioned ATOs, but what's kind of like the, is it just you dribble at the guy, he goes into the cross screen. How are you kind of getting into then the, the triple post? So when we were doing this, especially last year, we ran a ton of this last year. It was a big part of our offense and we did it a lot out of five out. So if you can imagine five out, my guard is on the wing. Let's say Mm -hmm. you've got your other two guards in the corner. Your five is the trailer and your four is the opposite wing. So we would, for example, I might pass to the wing. I might cut through and set a shuffle screen for my weak side wing, the four. Once that ball Uh enters the post off of the shuffle, now we're in our triple post action. Now with the rest of the league, typically they're doing it either out of horns or they're doing it out of four out. Okay. Again, kind of harping back, you said you, you run this against zone. So what are kind of the key screening emphasis that you're making, or how does kind of the offense change to adapt to the zone defense? When we see it against zone, the big key is the trailer because he needs to actually screen the top of the zone and not just stand next to a guy. So mm-hmm. at times he won't be sure who to screen. And we typically tell him, Hey, the weak side guard, Whoever's on that elbow, that's who you're screening, period. There's no if ands, or buts. Because if you screen that guy and then you slip, now you're slipping right down the lane line and you're creating so much more space for everyone else. And even going a little bit further back, 
that screen and that slip quality do not happen if my shooter doesn't come off thinking, shoot, if you have any daylight. And we'll tell them, I said, guys, I literally want you to think you're Duncan Robinson or Dante DiVincenzo in the, in the final four several right. years ago. If you mm-hmm. have any daylight, you're shooting it. So you need to sprint off this pick like you're going to shoot it. Especially against zone, you get teams to overreact, and that's where the, the blender starts. For the guard who set that cross screen or who's under the hoop, what's kind of in his read as far as how he makes that back cut, or what are you telling him? In regards to zone, it's a little bit trickier. So typically we'll tell him to just empty out, but we will tell him to read the five or whoever's that middle of the zone. Because if he starts to shadow, maybe prepare for an early trap, we'll tell him to sort of hide behind the defense for a moment. Mm -hmm. Because if he does receive it, his extra pass is going to end up being to either the top or the opposite wing. um, If you can imagine that. Yeah. There's a lot of great post action that teams run all across the world. Why have you guys settled on this specific action? And I guess, what is it that teams struggle with it to guard? We've stayed with this for the point I mentioned earlier of inclusion, where we know if we run this at the minimum, we've got four guys involved in an action, which means the defense has to worry about four possible scoring targets and possibly five if we go into the handoff. So that's pretty much the simple reason why we've stayed with it. And we like the angles of the passes and whatnot. In regards to how we've caused problems for teams, what teams typically do on the cross screen and then that pin down is you see a lot of teams triple switch from the backside. Mm-hmm. So if I'm defending the shooter in the opposite corner, I will go up with the player who just made the yep. backdoor or curl. Yeah. So they'll try to send him out. Where we enjoy is that when they try to do that, our player knows it's an automatic curl. Yeah. Because now if he curls that second guy is coming back off a pin down again and he's going to be late every time. Yeah. He, he has to be late because his other defenders under the paint. Coach, this was uh, this was awesome. Thank you for spending the time with us to go over the uh, Brazilian triple post. We'll make sure we have links to uh, video and whatnot. Cause I think that'll be obviously very beneficial to watch your video and, you know, anything else we put out around it to see it as well. So thank you for your time and um, you know, best of luck as you guys continue the season. Great. And again, thank you for having me. I always enjoy listening to you guys. So looking forward to our next basketball chat. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of The Extra Pass with Coach KJ Smith. Please make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for the links to the videos of this triple post action. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Slapping Glass.